You're listening to Breaking the Silence, a podcast by Reach 10, where we're creating a culture of courage, compassion, and connection to overcome the shame, silence, and fear that often surrounds topics such as sexuality and pornography. We're your hosts, Chriselle Simons and Creed Orm. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Breaking the Silence. We are very lucky and privileged to have Mackenzie Preza with us today. We are so looking forward to speaking with her, and we will be breaking the silence on another woman's story regarding their struggle with pornography, how that journey went, and what she learned from it. So she is from Dodge City, Kansas, now residing in Utah, and Kenzie, just go for it. You introduce yourself. You know yourself better than I do, so go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, guys. My name is Mackenzie or Kenzie. I am from Dodge City, Kansas. I was born there, so I joke that I'm the original Dorothy. My my family's moved a lot, but the places I've lived mainly are Colorado, and then we moved to Utah, and so we've been in Utah for through high school and everything. And it's been great. I just graduated from Utah Valley University with my bachelor's in family science, and I'm getting ready to start my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So aside from that, I'm married. We've been married for two years, me and my husband, and we don't have any kids, but we do have, um, what I think the folks would say for babies. We have two cats and we definitely are those people that treat them like they're our kids. I never thought I would be that person, but their names are Baby and Mochi and uh, they're the light of our lives. (laughs) So, but that's really me. I like to read. I love to cycle with my husband and just hang out with my family and be outside. So I'm a pretty normal gal. That's awesome. Kenzie, we're so excited to have you on the podcast with us today and so grateful and excited to hear your story. So you just tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. So I was introduced to pornography when I was around 11. I think it was, it was through a babysitter and I don't think it was intentional necessarily the introduction of pornography, but it was enough that I just remember my curiosity was peaked at this point in time where I was just kind of getting to understand like the internet and that you could find literally anything on the internet. And it was at a point in time where the internet was becoming a thing just in general. And I remember just thinking, you know, wanting to know if I typed in a certain word, what that would pull up and all things surrounding sex. I realized I could find those things on the internet and it was something I didn't know a lot about. So I was curious. And I think from there kind of bloomed this addiction and it went from not just being curiosity to kind of being more than that. And I don't think I realized that I was addicted until I was uh, a young adult when I was like maybe 17 or 18, but it was something I struggled with on and off from that point on through junior high and high school. And it affected my self-esteem like crazy. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I just hated myself. And I think that was because I look back on it now, but because I felt isolated and ostracized, I felt like something was wrong with me. And it was always just at like, it almost felt like at the core of my being, like this dirty secret that I thought nobody else struggled with and that nobody else could know about because something was wrong with me. And so it wasn't until 
I got a little bit older that I realized that it was an addiction, that I could be addicted to it and that I could be open about it. That was something that was like almost liberating was like, I can be open about it and I can talk to people about it. And I served an LDS mission and there were a lot of different points in time where I was speaking with other women that were serving in this mission with me. And I felt strongly that I should share my story with them. And every time I did, it was so crazy. Every time I did, they usually would come back with like, oh my gosh, I've struggled with the same thing. And I didn't think that girls could struggle with this. I had no idea that I wasn't alone. And that was crazy for me. And I think since then, I've just kind of decided that I wanted to be open about it. One, because I feel like anytime I try to keep it a secret, I feel like I struggle more with temptation with the addiction. And when I'm more open about it and it's out in the open and I'm talking about it, I feel like I feel stronger against it. And I also feel like the more I connect with people about it, uh, the easier it gets to kind of live life with an addiction to pornography. So that's kind of my story with it. Kenzie, that is so amazing. And I'm just so grateful for your willingness to be open about this too, because the narrative for young women and and girls in Christian culture often is like, oh, pornography is a guy thing and none of you will ever struggle with it because you're good and it's a bad thing. And so, of course, you felt so alone. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you probably felt so like broken and bad and so much shame. And I know like, if you're a human and you have a pulse, you're going to feel shame about it. But I just think girls, especially because of that narrative, feel so alone. So I'm so grateful that you're willing to open your mouth and listen to the spirit and share with other women and with us on this podcast, because you're not alone and it's okay. You're not broken. Right. Which is so cool. And yeah, I just want to follow up with that with, we need people like you, Kenzie. And so we're so happy to have you and that you have kind of this position in your life where you're happy to open up and share and that you can share it with such clarity and understanding and knowing how it benefits you to be open and not hide. I mean, I totally have felt that whole way throughout my whole journey as well. When I opened up about my pornography addiction as well as my sexuality. But so I wanted to ask you, how did you come to that place? What kind of experiences did you have where you were like, oh, it's okay for me to open up and, oh, actually this is helpful for me? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of it had to do with when I was serving a mission and I felt there were just moments in time where I just felt like I should talk about it. And I think a lot of that was because I was still dealing with a lot of pent up feelings, even though I wasn't currently acting on my addiction with pornography, I wasn't struggling with it in the sense that you would imagine somebody struggles with it. I still had so many deep seated rooted issues with it. Like my self-esteem was garbage. I didn't love myself and I had a really hard time finding value in myself and things that I had to offer. And so you get out and it doesn't matter if you're a church service mission or you're moving away from home or you're, you know, any huge life change, right. Where you're kind of on your own and you're like, especially coming into adulthood and doing big kid stuff. I didn't have any confidence in myself in that. And I think that was when I kind of felt like I had no choice. I had to be open about it (laughs) because I was trying to figure out 
how to fix it in kind of that deep rooted sense. I remember the first time I almost had a breakdown with it. I said, it feels like for my whole life, I've just been trying to put a bandaid over this infected wound, you know? And unfortunately it's just not going to get any better if I'm just like trying to cover it up. And I really felt like I'm going to have to rip the bandaid off and, you know, reopen up the wound or whatever, you know, not to be gross, but get out the infection. And then I can work on healing it. You know what I mean? And that was hard, especially when you found coping mechanisms and you feel better on the surface level. You're like, I don't want to dive back into this. Like, I don't want to talk about it. It's something I feel icky about. But the more I talked about it, the more I was like, I don't feel icky about this. You know, why should I feel like something's wrong with me? I think I just, I really started to study the science behind addiction too, and what it does to the chemicals in your brain. And how being addicted to pornography, like it's doing the same things to your brain that a drug or alcohol would do, you know? And that for me was huge too. And I started to like, be like, okay, my brain's doing the same thing it would do if I was doing a drug. And that makes sense to me. And so that's when I started to feel like I could talk about it more. And this was once again, in your mission, you started to open up, right? I, I would say, yeah. Um, it was probably at that point in time that I started to really accept that it was an addiction. Well, it was a little before then. So when I was 18, I would say I finally had accepted that I was addicted and that it would just be like, if, if somebody was an alcoholic, you wouldn't tell them to walk into a bar, right? Cause it's always gonna be something they kind of struggle with, even if they've been sober for 20 years. And so I think when I finally accepted that, cause my parents had caught me in that sense, multiple times throughout my childhood. And even though I grew up in a really open household regarding sexuality and stuff like that, I don't think that they wanted to believe that it was an ongoing problem, that it was just curiosity, that I was just a kid who was curious. And so I let myself believe that too, which I think perpetuated the problem. But yeah, I think right when I was 18, I I started to really be like, okay, this is an addiction. This is something I need to really um, accept and come to terms with. And I think then the big life change and coming into adulthood, that's when I really kind of started to process it. Yeah. I just think it's so inspiring that you were able to open up a lot on your mission because I wish that I was courageous enough to do that. Because unfortunately, I feel like there is kind of a little bit of a culture in the church, which I hope we're moving away from where you don't share your explicit sins. You know, you leave them behind, you don't talk about them, you leave it alone. Yeah. But I think it's so important, helpful. Let's talk about what we're struggling with here. Cause that's the only way that's how our testimonies of the atonement, our testimonies of becoming whole again, or healing is through those experiences. And why not just a normal girl with normal sexuality struggling with pornography, right? So I'm so glad you've been able to come to this point. Thanks. I love that. I have a quote. I can't remember. I heard it. I think I read it somewhere, but I I love it. And it says church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And I think you're so right. That culture of perfection, especially, and now we have social media, which makes it so much worse. This huge thing with social media, where the only thing people portray is perfection, right? You don't often see people, you know, we see it a little bit more now, but people posting their not very flattering pictures or posting their messy houses or their loads of laundry, like, people don't really talk about those things. So I think we just naturally as human beings start to feel isolated 
And so I totally agree with that. I think I'm all here for the realism and tearing down that, that picture perfect view that I think kind of we've been living in for a long time. Oh, I love this. I love this so much. And a couple of weeks ago, I taught the lesson on pornography to the young woman. Me too. Oh, I'm so glad we could chat about this. It was like so refreshing to teach it the way that I think it's always needed to be taught. And, and to just talk about like, okay, first of all, you're all sexual beings, right? Like literally God gave you that gift. <laughs> it's like, like, like it's totally normal. And so what I want to know, Kenzie, is for you, what changed or or maybe did that ever like change for you in your process of like, being okay with your sexuality and, and coming to maybe a healthy place with that? What was that like for you? Yeah, totally. That's one of the things I emphasize too in my lesson is I was like, you would be abnormal if you didn't feel that. I'd be more worried if you didn't have those feelings. You know what I mean? But I mean, that was kind of something I I hit on too. And I think for me, I've always been kind of that person with my friends who all my friends were having sex in high school and I wasn't, but they all were. And for some reason, I was the one giving advice, even though I'm like, I have no experience in, in this realm. I don't know why you're coming to me. But it was because I lived in a household where I could ask those questions to my parents, you know, to not to my mom mostly, but all my friends knew that. And even though they were sexually active and I wasn't, I still knew a lot more than them because I was living in a home where I could talk to my mom about things of that nature. And I think even though I was all the while struggling with an addiction to pornography, that still didn't necessarily mean that I had accepted that I was a sexual being or that I had accepted any of those things about myself. And it wasn't until honestly, I would say a few years ago, I was taking a class called Intro to Human Sexuality, and I just loved it. I was obsessed with this class and the idea that we could be open about all these taboo topics. And I, I wrote a whole research paper on how abstinence affects our view of sexuality, because in, it's not just in LDS culture, it's in a lot of Christian cultures around the world where they encourage abstinence before marriage, which is totally fine. But it's just like you said, Chriselle, like along with that, sometimes I think we end up accidentally teaching our kids that sex is bad, right? We we're trying to teach them what the, the reality is, is that it's about timing, right? Because sex is beautiful. In the LDS religion, we believe it's a gift from God, like you said. So it is about timing. But unfortunately, when we're pushing, you know, don't have sex until you're married, don't have sex until you're married. Or even if we're not straight up saying sex is bad, inadvertently, we're pushing that message that you should stay as far away from it as possible. So even though I grew up in a home where we were really open about sex, even though you talked about it, was there that perspective that it was better? I think I thought that I had a good perspective on it. And I think for the most part I did, but it just goes to show how ingrained I think it was in my subconscious. Because when I got married, our wedding night, right, came and went and everyone knows what happens on the wedding night. And I still felt this small feeling of guilt. And I hated that. And I felt that way for our first month of marriage. And it wasn't shame. It wasn't overwhelming, but it was just this feeling of, oh man, we're doing things that we've literally been saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Right. And I think that's to some degree unavoidable, 
But I think it's just surrounding, you know, are we talking about it? Are we communicating about it with our spouse? What's okay and what's not okay? Even before you're having sex, right? Even if you were trying to practice abstinence before marriage, are you still having those conversations and addressing that at some point in time, you're going to be having sex, you're going to be sexually active. And what does that mean for you and your partner? You know what I mean? And so I think that even though I, even before I was married, grew up with kind of a good mentality or so I thought we can't help, especially when you're submerged in a culture like this, like we are, you can't help, but subconsciously kind of attach to some of those little things or that feeling of like, I need to stay away from this because somehow my value is lined up in whether or not I'm, you know, sexually pure, which it's not. But I think that's sometimes the message we accidentally send to our youth. I think that's so interesting. And I think it's interesting that often we want to hide or tuck that part away. And we, and and Creed, you mentioned this earlier, like, it's been a pervasive culture for a long time. Like, oh, we don't talk about past sins, right? Just be open. (laughs) There's so much freedom in being honest and coming out of hiding and coming before God, telling the other people, all of those things and being honest with where we're at, what's going on, where we've been, you know, can be so freeing. And, And I would love to know a little bit more, like what helped you to have the courage to be open because I think that that's the hardest part I know that's hard for everyone Mm -hmm. and I think it's especially hard for women yeah I think what kind of helped me have courage I think what I always tell people and I try to tell myself is it's not linear you're not always going to feel brave and strong. I think a lot of people think, oh, Kenzie, you know, she's so open about it. So she must always feel really brave about it. And the reality is, is I don't always feel that way. Even, you know, just yesterday in the office, I was talking to two of my other coworkers, not Creed, but my other coworkers who I had made a comment about doing this podcast. And so they were asking about it and what it was about. And I, I realized, you know, I'm going to have to tell them what it's about because I'm going to be bearing all. And so I just was, oh, well, it's about like, I'm talking about my addiction to pornography and it was like, their head snapped in my direction. But even in that moment, I felt immediately like, oh, that sounds weird. Even though I know it's not, and I'm not ashamed of it. It almost felt like, I'm sorry for putting that on you. You know what I mean? I'm sorry for for saying that to you. And the reality is, I don't think they thought anything of it. I'm sure they were a little shocked by how blunt I was, but I don't think it changed their perception of me. And I think what's helped me gain courage is kind of just like, it's like what helps you gain courage with anything. You know, if you're scared of heights or something, right, the more you do it, the more you go cliff jumping with your friends at Lake Powell, the more you're probably going to be able to overcome that fear because you're like, oh, well, I did it yesterday and everything was okay. I was okay. I lived. And believe it or not, that's the same thing with pornography. Okay. Well, I told the entire young women's class that I'm addicted to pornography and everything was okay. I lived and they all lived. And, and one of them went home and said, she felt the spirit. And her mom was shocked because she's like, I've never heard someone say they felt the spirit during a lesson about pornography, you know? But, and so I think it's those little moments, even if you're not openly sharing your whole story, cause I didn't start that way. I didn't start off being able to just say to two people, 
you know, we're talking about my pornography addiction. That would have scared me so bad. So even if it's something small, you know, maybe I think we call it beating around the bush, but I don't view it that way. I think it's little jumps or something in the right direction, right? Little movements in the right direction by saying, you know, little things or telling little parts of your story that you feel comfortable to at that time. And those things are kind of what helped me build courage. Yes, 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 yes. And I just got to say that, I mean, opening up like Kenzie and I met just a few weeks ago and Mm -hmm. we were able to click just that because I opened up when Kenzie asked me a question, she opened up with that and boom, a connection was formed and we trust each other. We love each other. It just feels so good. And why not have that with all of our coworkers, family members, anybody? <laughs> so, but it that's not to say that it's for me still, it's it's scary every time. So <laughs> yeah. but it works out and it's wonderful. So I wanted to ask you with regard to your journey with pornography, what do you feel has helped you? And if you're comfortable sharing, where are you at in this point in time with it? How much of it is a struggle? Whatever you're willing to share about that, your journey. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's not a question I have been asked ever, I think. So, and I'm totally willing to share, but it is a little, it's a little scary. I think I go through phases where I do really well and I go through phases where I don't do very well. And actually recently I haven't been doing very well. And it's hard because it's, it's all comparatively, right? I read a book one time that was talking about how you can gauge a pornography addiction on a scale from one to seven. And it's not necessarily as black and white. It's kind of like, you're at a seven if it's to the point where it's affecting, you know, you can't have a job, you can't, you know, have friendships or relationships because you're so involved in this addiction. Whereas a one is you view pornography, you know, once a year or every few months. Right. And I think, so it's hard because it's all by comparison. And I think I, I hold myself to a high standard because there are times where I can go Um, months and months and sometimes years without viewing pornography. And then there are times where I struggle with it on a day-to-day basis. And I kick myself because I'm like, where's this coming from? You know, why is this so much harder than it was, you know, last week? I think so it's better now, but a few weeks ago I was struggling pretty rough with it. And what helped me is my husband and I were actually out cycling one night and we were up over this overview and there was fireworks going off. And we were just standing there and everything was fine. And I almost feel bad because it it was a good moment until I was like, I just felt like I need to just tell him that I'm struggling with it because he knows Um, I've been open with him about my pornography addiction. He's aware of it. He's very understanding, very supportive. But sometimes I feel this urge to not tell him out of fear of hurting his feelings. And I just felt very strongly that I wasn't going to be able to do better if I kept being a secret about it because how was I supposed to get help if no one knew that I was struggling? And, and even somebody like me who's open about it and has been open about it for a few years, I still, still my, yeah, my, and my initial urge was to keep it a secret, which I know in my brain that that doesn't help me, but I still was doing it anyway. And so finally we were just standing there and I just said, Hey, I need to tell you, I'm really struggling with pornography again. And 
the reality is that it did hurt his feelings, right? Of course it would. It would hurt my feelings if the tables were turned. If anything, it hurt him more that I was struggling and that I was having such a hard time. And even though it was a hard conversation and it didn't necessarily fix anything, it did make it easier for me to go throughout my day and do better because I knew that there was somebody holding me accountable. And I told myself, if it happens again, I'm going to tell him because I know that if it's an option to keep it a secret, I'll feel a stronger urge to do it. Right. So as long as I continue to tell myself, there's somebody who's holding me accountable and somebody I'm going to hold myself accountable to, even when it's hard, I feel like it's easier for me to overcome that. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. We need to hear that. And it's so helpful for so many listeners that you're working through it and you're still learning and you're still talking about it, (laughs) right? And that's what's so important is that we just keep going. I just think, I think what's massively important is that your sense of self-love and what I imagine hope, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is so much different now than it was before, right? Even though it, it can be a struggle here and there still, at least you're so much more mentally healthy and emotionally healthy, and you have the support system to carry on and live life, even if this is something that you or I or someone else will struggle with their entire lives, because we all have those things. So tell me just a little bit more about, so you keep living, right? Life is still enjoyable. You still are having good relationships. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I was just saying this the other day to my sister, but I was like, there's life after hard things. That's just something I always, I have to tell myself to and during hard things. I would probably yes. say, you know, <laughs> yes. it's after there's like, there's, <laughs> you still live. And I love that you, that you said that creed that, that you can talk about it and be open about it. Even if you don't feel fully recovered. Cause I think that's kind of a stigma in and of itself that mm-hmm. the only people that are willing to be open about it are the people that have overcome it. And, and it's true when I am doing better, I feel like I can be more open about it. Cause I'm like, it's not a problem right now. And it's harder to be open about it when I'm like, it's a problem, you know, it's something I'm working on. But I love that because you don't have to wait until you're recovered to talk about it. Because the reality is with addiction, like you're going to be in the process of recovering, but it's a lifelong pursuit. You have to work at it, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So Mm -hmm. I think accepting that has made life livable, you know, in the case of that story, after I told my husband and it was hard and it was a hard conversation we cried, we hugged, and then we got on our bikes and we rode and we watched the fireworks and we laughed. And, mm-hmm. you know, if that in and of itself wasn't a message to me and just, I mean, to your point that even after this really hard conversation, I didn't want to have, and I didn't love having, we still, you know, had a great night. And that's the reality is you can have these things and talk about them and have people in your life who love you and know about them and still be loved by these people and still live life with these people. You know what I mean? But I think it all starts with us being willing to like live a normal life and be open about it. You know, Kenzie, I love that you brought this up. This is something we talked about this on our third podcast. (laughs) And it's been a minute since we brought this up again, but you're struggling with pornography. If someone that you love struggling with pornography, okay. Talk about it. And then go and build your relationship in other ways. Like you need to have experiences outside of recovery and beyond that in order to even give you hope and life. (laughs) So I love, thank you so much for being such a great example of that. And for, yeah. And for living your life. That is so awesome. Mm -hmm. 
I remember I was talking with my therapist when I was deep in my betrayal trauma and I was like, how in the heck am I going to date? And how in the heck am I going to talk about it to anyone about pornography and sexuality and everything and have a relationship with them once we talk about it? And he was like, bring up pornography and then go play ping pong and get ice cream, which I'm not a ping pong player. So we did other things, but he's like, I loved that point. Talk about it and go eat ice cream and watch a movie and go on a bike ride or go skiing or whatever. It's a thing. It needs to be talked about. Have the hard conversations. And this goes for with your kids. And this goes with everything with your young women, with your young men, like have the conversations and go and build the relationship outside of the hard conversation yeah. and, and that kind of thing. So yes. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, you thought. Thanks. Well, and I I think it, I just, I thought to myself, you know, when I taught that lesson to the young women, I, and I dropped a bomb similar to what I did with my coworkers, where I just said, and this subject's near and dear to my heart because I am addicted to pornography and all the young women, their eyes are as big as dinner plates. But then I was like, okay, who wants cookies? You know, because it's just like, you know, and I think it sends a message to people because I wanted to send that message without actually saying the words, but sending the message like, it's okay. I said it and I know it sounds crazy and you're all expecting me to be really awkward now and weird, but I'm not going to because it's not awkward and weird. You know, now we're going to eat cookies and I'm going to crack a few jokes and you guys are going to forget. I really even said that, but then you'll remember an hour later and be like, oh, wow. Like, and she's fine and she's normal. You know, it's fine. And there are probably young women sitting in there who are thinking, okay, she's normal and she's fine. And she's laughing and smiling and living her life. And she just told us all she was addicted to pornography. So I can live my life and find joy, you know, in everything, even if I feel like there's this thing weighing me down. And so I think just like you said, even in that, we're sending that message just through our actions that you build relationships and you live a normal, happy life, even when you're dealing with hard things. Thank you so much for being that example. We need that. And I'm so glad that we've had you to share and talk about all this. What else, what kind of final thoughts do you have, if any, maybe a call to action uh, for our listeners that you want them to know, practice doing, anything like that? Yeah. I think just reiterating what I said earlier, if you're somebody who is currently struggling with a pornography addiction, or you know someone who's struggling with a pornography addiction, take opportunities to share little bits and pieces of your story. I would never want to tell somebody, oh, just drop the bomb. Just tell somebody because it's it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And I don't want to make it sound like it's that simple because I don't want anyone to feel bad if they have a hard time with it because it is hard. It's hard to be open about a pornography addiction because even though we're trying to break the silence, right? That doesn't mean that it's fully broken. And in some of our homes, maybe not at all. And that's okay. Take time to share little pieces of your story that you're ready to share. And eventually it'll get easier and you'll be able to share more. And I promise, I I know this is so true, but I promise like, there will come a moment in time where you share your story with somebody and they will look at you and just be like, this is the same thing. This, I have struggled with the same thing. Thank you so much for helping me not feel alone. Like, I I just know, I know that'll happen. It's just, it's happened to me more times than I can count. And especially when I didn't think it was going to. It's surprising how often it happens. 
yeah. which is more reason why we need to talk. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever thought I was going to sit down in my meeting with you, Creed, and have the conversation no. that we did. You know what I mean? And I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it at all. I'm really it happy was beautiful. about it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that would be my call to action is to just take time to put yourself back in the light, right? In whatever way that is, even like little bits and pieces, because it will help you feel less alone. Like even if you tell somebody that has no experience with that, if they're just, I, I'm so sorry, I, I don't know what that must feel like, but thanks for telling me. It still makes you less alone because there's somebody who loves you, who can help you carry it. And it also helps, you know, helps us overcome that addiction and that urge that we may feel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can't say enough Uh, of that. (laughs) Seriously, Kenzie, you are such a light. And thank you for being willing to step out and be that light. Yeah. We're just so grateful for you. I'm grateful that there are people like you who are willing to have this beautiful, amazing podcast that gives people like me and young girls and boys a reason to keep moving forward and to break the silence. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence by Reach 10. Help us create a new culture of connection by sharing what you heard today with at least 10 people. Please help us reach more young adults by going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reach 10 is a nonprofit. You can help support this podcast by donating on our website and following us on social media. We share these views to open the dialogue on these tough issues. We are not professionals, and the ideas shared on this podcast should not be taken as professional advice. The opinions and views that our hosts and guests share do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach 10, and we don't guarantee the accuracy of any statements you hear. Reach 10 is not responsible for your use of information heard on this podcast. We keep learning and invite you to join us as we build a more open, compassionate, and courageous culture.